You're listening to Deep North News, the weekly news podcast of Iceland Review, Iceland's longest-running English-language magazine. I'm Andy Sophia Fontaine, and these are the week's top stories in Iceland. Last Sunday, January 14th, at around 8 o'clock in the morning Icelandic time, a fissure eruption opened just north of the town of Grindavik, a town on the southern coast of the Reykjanes Peninsula. Fortunately, the town of 3,600 people had been evacuated the day before due to increased seismic activity and some troubling measurements of the magma beneath the surface. Nonetheless, what followed in the wake of the eruption was one of the worst-case scenarios for natural disasters and raised the still-unanswered question, where will the residents of Grindivik live now? But before we get to that, the timeline of events. Over the past month, a series of earthen dams have been built near Grindavik to protect it from potential lava flow, due to there having been, at the time, four eruptions in as many years near the town. Sunday morning's fissure opened up for the most part behind one such dam, but not entirely. Some lava was freely flowing towards the town. Rescue workers mobilized and began building more earthen walls as quickly as they could. And while the lava flow did flow over Grindavikavegur, that is, the main road which connects the town to the highway which connects to the capital area, the dams were successful in diverting the lava westward. But then, at around noon, a new, smaller fissure opened up just meters from the town. There is nothing to be done in this scenario as lava flowed into town and burned down three houses. In addition, lava flow reportedly covered water piping into the town, cutting off their access to cold and hot water, which is how most homes in Iceland are heated. Mercifully, that's as far as the lava got, and the eruption began to dwindle to a state of virtual inactivity about a day later. But for the residents of Grindivik, the difficulties had only just begun. Given that there have now been five eruptions in the area in the past four years, and indeed, scientists agree there could still be another magma intrusion under the town yet to come, it appears as though Reykjanes Peninsula in general, and this area in particular, are undergoing a new era of volcanic activity. Many Grindavik residents are scattered across the country. Some are in other parts of Reykjanes, some are in the capital area, and others still have moved farther into the countryside. But these are temporary arrangements. What is the long-term future of Grindavik? Well, that's the big question. In Parliament, there is cross-partisan support for the idea that housing for these people should be top priority. The real question is how that should be managed. Some MPs have proposed that the state buy the homes of these people outright, while others have proposed making arrangements with large rental companies, or even to build temporary housing in Grekenes, amongst other ideas. Grindavik Mayor Fano Jonasson told reporters that he is moving forward on the assumption that people will one day live in Grindavik again. But then there's also the question of financial support. Many, if not most, of Grindavik's people work in the town itself, and as such will need financial assistance for the foreseeable future, however long that may end up being. But what do the people of Grindavik themselves want? If a community meeting held on Tuesday the 14th is any indication, the majority of attendees at the meeting want to be bought out. But even for those who wish to stay, there is the question of the cost of owning and maintaining property in the town. For those people, they would like to see the government issue safeguards to ensure their housing loans do not tailspin out of control. As the situation is now, the future is indeed uncertain, but numerous NGOs are also doing their best to help. Amongst them is the Red Cross. If you too would like to help the people of Grindavik, visit redcross.is 
and then click on the Little English Language button at the top for detailed instructions on how to donate to help the people of Grindavik, whether you live in Iceland or abroad, as a one-time donation or as a part of a subscription. In other news, Reykjavik has a new mayor now. Einar Thorstenson, city council person for the Progressive Party, took over as mayor last Tuesday. He is the first Progressive Party mayor in the history of Reykjavik. The outgoing mayor, Dagabia Egotson of the Social Democratic Alliance, has served in that capacity since 2014 and has also been the longest-running member of Reykjavik City Council, having first taken a seat there in 2002. As evidenced by Ana being the first Progressive Party mayor in the city's history, the Progressive Party does not usually have a great level of support in the city. However, in 2022, the party won nearly 19% of the vote, and as such, agreed to join the ruling majority at city council, provided Einar took over as mayor after 18 months. While Dagur announced earlier this month that he will not run in the next municipal elections in 2026, he has not ruled out running for parliament next year. The Social Democratic Alliance is currently polling very well. Well enough that if those poll numbers bear out on election day, they could very well triple their seats in parliament. And so Dagur, already a popular figure in Reykjavik, would stand a good chance of being a new MP. Good news for two Palestinian boys, aged 14 and 12, who were slated to be deported to Greece. The Directorate of Immigration has agreed to examine their case for international protection in Iceland. The two boys, Yazan and Samir, came to Iceland last April with their uncle Ahmed, seeking asylum in the country. The Directorate of Immigration first investigated whether the boys were victims of human trafficking, which turned out not to be so. They simply wanted international protection in Iceland. As such, they were placed in foster care. Their uncle, however, has been slated to be deported from Iceland. The boys were made to wait for some months until the directorate decided the boys should be deported to Greece. For the unfamiliar, Greece is a common point of entry for those entering Europe to seek international protection, and the country often compels people to apply for international protection in Greece or be turned away. And so, a lot of people opt to fill out the application for asylum in Greece just to get into Europe. But because these folks are granted international protection in Greece, some countries, such as Iceland, may reject their applications for asylum in their chosen country without examining the merits of their cases and send them back to Greece. This practice is controversial, though, as numerous NGOs and lawyers in Iceland have said Greece is an unfit country for those granted international protection. In addition, Icelandic law allows the government to grant people international protection on humanitarian grounds. The decision to deport is not mandatory. In any event, the Foster family appealed the deportation decision to the Immigration Appeals Board, who agreed that the Directorate of Immigration should put a hold on the deportation and examine the boys' cases for international protection. What decision the Directorate will come to after examining their cases remains to be seen. In other news, we have new demographics numbers. That's right, the latest numbers from the National Registry show that some 18.7% of all residents of Iceland are of foreign origin. As you might expect, these are not evenly spread out across all municipalities. Now, if I were to ask you where you think the highest percentage of immigrants in Iceland live, you'd probably guess Reykjavik, right? If so, you'd be pretty far off. Immigrants comprise 18.2% of residents in Iceland's capital. Reykjavik doesn't even crack the top 10. 
No, the municipality with the highest percentage of people of foreign origin is the southern Icelandic municipality of Myrdalsreper, perhaps best known for the village of Vík. 61.7% of the approximately 750 residents of this municipality are immigrants. The municipality with the lowest percentage of immigrants, at just 6%, is Reykholagreper, population 271. Speaking of rural municipalities, a trend over the past few decades in Iceland has been to combine neighboring districts into larger ones. Often this is done when there are too few people living in one or more neighboring communities. One recent case is the district of Skeda og Nubverhreper, one of Iceland's few landlocked districts, which is born in 2002 after the combining of Skedahreppr and Knupverhreppr. 577 people call this district home. Now, the name Skeda og Knupverhreppr does not exactly roll off the tongue, not even an Icelandic one, so there has been talk of renaming the community. The community itself will get to decide that on June 1st in a referendum held alongside the presidential elections. Interestingly, District Council Chairperson Harald Thorjonsson did not cite this tongue twister of a name for the main reason he believes the district needs a name change. Rather, he says that the current name gives no indication of where it is in Iceland. For the record, the last vote on a possible name change was in 2015, when the majority chose Fjordsausveit out of eight possible names. But then the majority voted against changing the name anyway. Lastly in the news, a possible solution may have been found in a scandal that has been ongoing in the southeast Iceland town of Dupavogur known as the Great Toilet Case. The center of the scandal is a conflict between Dupavogur Home Council and the one shopping center in the middle of town, a single building that houses the grocery store Samköp, an alcohol store, a bank, and a post office. This one building has no public bathroom, and this has led to some visitors to the town to relieve themselves in the outdoors, which, needless to say, is less than desirable to the people who live there. Home Council has implored the director of Samköp to provide public bathrooms in the building, but the director has said that this idea was too costly and would negatively impact business in the building. A new day may be dawning, however, as the director has proposed the building of public toilet facilities some 150 meters from the building. If Dupavogur Home Council agrees, the chapter may finally be closed on this conflict. Next on Deep North News, the weather this weekend. Friday should be the end of the extended cold snap we've been experiencing this week. Expect temperatures in the double digits below freezing with light winds and cloudy skies, but little precipitation for most of the country. On Saturday, temperatures will rise above freezing again and winds should stay relatively calm, but there could be some snow and rain in the southeast of the country. Come Sunday, temperatures will drop below freezing again, albeit only in the single digits, with sunny skies in the capital area and in the northeast. As for road conditions, bear in mind that the south coast of Reykjanes is completely off-limits, and the highlands are closed for the season, so don't try driving up there unless you're in a glacier tour group with the right vehicles for the job. Also, watch out for icy conditions in the east and in the Westfjords. For all your weather and road condition needs, you should visit weather.is and road.is respectively, but also add safe travel to .is to that list. Through safe travel, you get up to the minute updates on conditions all over the country, whether we're talking about weather, natural disasters, or other variables. Save yourself time, money, and trouble by checking weather.is, road.is, and safe travel.is before heading out anywhere in Iceland. 
And that's all for me today here at Deep North News. Please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. And while you're at it, check out IcelandReview.com for more of the latest from Iceland in travel, news, culture, and more. Speak to you again next Friday, folks. Be good to each other. Mm-hmm.